stand for the reading of God's word. Joshua, the fourth chapter. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off, Before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over the Ark of the Lord, and the priests passed over before the people, The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The Lord, a blessing to the reading of his word. I'd like to put a tag on this text for us this morning. No stone left unturned. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Father God, thank you for your precious word. 
Thank you that you can be trusted and that we can trust you with our lives because you are the creator and sustainer of our lives. Father, you know what you're doing. You know where you're leading us. You know where you are taking us. And Father, by the blood of Jesus, you are rescuing a people unto yourself that you may do mighty and marvelous things through their lives. So Father, I ask that that will be us. Father, use us for your purposes. Use us for your glory. Father, do not allow us to be complacent. Do not allow us just to get used to your hand of blessing. But may we continually seek after you because you are good and your mercy endureth forever. So, Father, I beg that you will have mercy upon each one of us today, Lord. We've been on vacation. We've been opening gifts. We've been celebrating. Father, give us grace today to hear your word. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, prepare our hearts to respond and worship to your preached word today. Father, may this not be ordinary. May this not just be another church service. But, Father, may you impact our lives, impact our hearts, that we may be on fire for you, O Lord. Give us a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. Give us not more of us, but give us more of you. Father, please have your way in this place today, Lord. Spurs on to good work. Spurs on to worship by the power of your Holy Spirit. May you use each one of us to encourage and uplift and to speak an encouraging word. But Father, right now, may you speak through me, this weak and lowly vessel, that your people may hear from you, that lives will be transformed. Jesus' holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. There's a familiar phrase or idiom that people often say, and it's simply that familiarity breeds contempt. Well, what does that mean? Pretty much that means that in a relationship, you can become so used to someone or you can become uh, so disengaged, so unthoughtful that this relationship all of a sudden becomes ordinary and regular. And it doesn't mean just quite what it used to mean. In the presence of this person that used to really excite you and used to be on guard, used to watch your mouth, used to watch your behavior, used to watch your tongue, all of a sudden that gets thrown out the door. You forget to say thank you. You forget to say please. You forget to say welcome. And then this relationship becomes strained. Most of us have experienced that or we've experienced the rebuttal to that type of mentality or behavior. And really, an equally powerful and familiar phrase that that helps jolt that person up out of their contentment is don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. And dare I say, there are 
times when we've gotten too comfortable, not with others, but we're too comfortable with God. We have a habit of going through the motions in our relationship with him, thinking that we're actually doing something. There are times in my own life where I've I've taken the the holy, magnificent, and precious word of God and and treated it as regular. I have lessened uh, my esteem and respect for God in some way and for his people. But by God's grace, it's, it's usually in these times where he brings me through some type of circumstance to remind me of how good he is, how I should be thinking about him, how I should care about him. If you would, this is a divine prompting, prompting of not to get too comfortable because we are a forgetful people. We are absent-minded. If it wasn't for our cell phones, we wouldn't remember our own home phone number. We can't remember anything anymore. It's like that cartoon I was watching with my children inside out. And in, in this movie, the, the character is going through a transition and uh, the, the camera is focused in on her mind and just all that's going on. And part of her, her, her mind is that her memories, if they are not used often, are shipped to this memory storage center. And at the memory storage center, if they are still not used, these memories will fall off into this memory dump. Never to be remembered again. And if we enter into this year only thinking about what's next, and do not pause to reflect upon what just happened, where we just came from, and what God has done in our life even this past year, we will find ourselves falling into this situation where all the majestic and mighty and wonderful works that God has done fall into this memory dump. And we forget God, and we don't honor him for who we are. This is the situation going on in the text where God is making sure that his children do not forget where they came from and where they're going. He wants them to remember that I am mighty and I do mighty things. This is not ordinary. This is not every day. This is something important that you should remember. He wants his children to reflect upon his goodness, his power, his presence. Because when reflecting on God's powerful, saving presence should lead you into a life of worship. That's where it comes from. That's that's why we can get excited about what God is doing. That's why we can praise him and sing songs uh, of Zion. Because we know where we've come from, we know what he's done, and we know what he's doing. But if we forget, then it's God's supposed to do that anyway. We've become ungrateful people. And God does not want this for his children. Reflecting on God's powerful, saving presence should lead you into a life of worship. Continuing here in chapters 4, we are moving uh, from, from chapter 3 to chapter 4. These chapters actually go together. They are, they, they are a single account of Israel crossing the Jordan River. Last time we looked at the text, we were uh, impressed, uh, impressed by God's divine direction. It was the Ark of the Covenant, God's manifest presence in the midst of Israel, uh, being lifted up, and as they set their gaze upon 
on the Ark of the Covenant, God would move them and take them where they needed to be. Coming into chapter 4, this is the finale. This is the end portion of that. As they are crossing the river, everyone has passed now, but God wants them to pause and wait a moment to reflect. Remembrance is a gift from God. He takes us through situations. He takes us through circumstances as a gift to help us to remember how good he is and how much we actually need him. We're not doing this thing on our own. We're really not that sweet. It is God who is working in all the details of life, pressing us forward. This is where we are right now with Israel. And in this text, God in his infinite wisdom is giving Joshua divine instructions to set up a memorial, to commemorate what has just taken place. And this is a, this is a, a, a wonderful text because it, it helps us to sit back and think about, man, what has God done in my life? What are those big moments where I can look back to see just how God has been so gracious and so kind and good to me? There's a number of things that we could look at in this text. In this text, we could talk about the unity of the nation. Uh, in verse 1, it starts off, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. It wasn't just certain people who would go, but all the nations were coming in together. The fact that God had Joshua choose 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, lets you know that all the tribes are uh, coming together. We are unified. We're, we're not doing this willy-nilly all by ourselves. In this text, we see a number of times where God gives the command, Joshua gives the command, and, the, and it says, and the people obeyed. Verse 8, and the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. The end of verse 10, the people passed over in haste. What is that? That's immediate obedience. They didn't, they didn't dilly-dally. God, God said, go to the other side. He said, we're going to the other side. We could talk about the continuity of leadership. In verse 14, where it says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. They stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. The people recognized God's power on Joshua's life. God is using this man to lead this people. Everything that he has said to them and commanded has come to fruition. He's not messing it up. He's not trying to put his hand in the game. He is listening to God and reporting to the people. They can follow a leader like that. We have this unity. We have this continuity. We have a reminder that though they are crossing this river, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Verse 13 reminds us about 40,000 men ready for war passed over. This is a conquest. We're not going on vacation. We got work to do. All of these things, however, however, in the text, we keep coming back to these stones. What do we do with these stones? What do we make of these stones? God, in his infinite mercy and grace, is allowing Israel to set up a tangible expression of his faithfulness to them. Picking up these stones, they, they could touch these stones. They could walk around and marvel at these stones. But 
these 12 stones will represent God's covenant faithfulness to his people. This will represent that God is, he's not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. He will keep every single promise. These stones will be uh, uh, encouraging, saying, if God has brought us this far, won't he bring us all the way? These stones will represent all of their hopes, all of their dreams, coming out of slavery, coming out of being nothing, to to being made something. These stones will be so important. In verses 6 and 7, Joshua tells us, and he tells them and tells us what these stones are. Verse 6. He says that they're setting up the stones. Well, why? That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? These these stones will be a sign. Verse 7, then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So these stones are a sign. And the word sign in the text here is it's associated with all of Israel's religious uh, rituals and, and systems. See, God had given Israel all kinds of symbols, dinners, feasts, uh, regulated actions in order to help them remember who he was. He knows Sin has so impacted our lives that uh, all that we think of, all that we know revolves around us. So when it, when it becomes uh, time to remember something we're supposed to do for someone else, we're like, oh, I forgot. Because we're always thinking about us. My mom used to say, you remember what you want to, don't you? But what God is giving them these signs and symbols, and they act as road posts, that, that the end is not in the sign, but it's what the sign is pointing to, and this covenant relationship and ultimate salvation. Signs like the Passover. And turn with me right quick. Let's look at this. Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus, the 12th chapter, and the 14th verse, I believe. It says, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a fast. So he's talking over the, he's talking about the Passover meal. He says, this is a memorial. This is something that you will do annually. Uh, You will do often to remember what I, I have done in your midst already. See, but God doesn't just use dinners and human symbols, does he, to remind us of his goodness. We can look back to Noah and, and, his, uh, and God's promise to Noah that I, I will set a rainbow in the sky to remind you that I won't do this again. God gave Abraham circumcision to remind them of the covenant relationship. But not only we have these Old Testament examples of signs and symbols, but coming over to the New Testament, Jesus himself has given us two symbols that we practice all throughout the year. He has given us the Lord's Supper and he's given us baptism. Two signs that in and of themselves, there is no salvation. 
there's no salvation. There's no salvation just because a person jumps in the water. There's no salvation just because someone drinks a cup of juice and, and takes a piece of bread. But what has God done? God has given us a sign that is pointing us to him, pointing us to to, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. And when our lives are united with Christ, that we we have died and we are raised with him. He's given us a sign that as believers, when we come to this table, we are looking forward to that blessed hope where we will sit at the table with Jesus and dine with one another. That the new covenant, that that our ability to be made right with God has nothing to do with me keeping a law, with me doing things that I'm actually supposed to do, but it's completely by grace through faith. This new covenant in his blood and body. So we're familiar with symbols and signs even now. So these stones are a reminder of God's powerful saving presence in their midst. You have signs and symbols in your personal life. There's things that you walk around your house and you look at and they remind you of a time, person, place, a thing, something. When I look, when I look at my children, each one of them uh, brings some type of memory to my mind. Our youngest, Noel, I, when I look at her, I often call her, that's, I tell people that's our Kentucky baby. <laughs> she, born, she born and raised here in Kentucky. See, but, see, you ain't know, I used to call her my free baby. And the story is that when she was born, and we were working on the medical bills, we were trying to get things paid. We had deductibles, co-pays. We had, we had all kinds of things we had to pay. And I remember reading a, a, a blurb on the, on, the, on the hospital's website that if you needed financial assistance, just, like, click here. So I was like, we broke. We need some help. So I I remember clicking on that and doing all kind of crazy paperwork, and I didn't hear from nobody. I just didn't hear nothing. So one day I decided to call back, say like, okay, you know, I submitted this. I got I got these bills due. uh, uh, Well, what's going to happen? And I remember them saying, Oh, Mr. Bishop, oh, we've taken care of all that for you. I said, "You, You taking care of what? Oh, yeah, all those bills. We took care of them for you. Uh, we, paid, we paid those already. So when I look at Noel, I see God's ability to provide even without me doing anything. Before I, before I was trying to pull out a card to pay the bill, the bill was already paid. There's times in your life that God has done things that you don't know how it got done, where it came from, and, and those, are, those are your symbols. Those are your memorial stones that point you not to man's ability, but God's favor in your life. These stones are symbols, signs that will point Israel, back to God's faithfulness. What stones of remembrance has God given you? But you know what? If, if, you, if, if left unturned, if you never pick up these stones and marvel at them, if you just kind of go about your life and never pay attention to them, your stones of remembrance will never give you direction. 
If you never pick up one of these memories and turn them over and look at it, you will always be thinking in the present about what you need to do next, and you'll be forgetting how God has brought you to where you are right now. We got to pick up these memories. So these stones are a sign and a symbol, but what are they for here in the text? Well, firstly, we see that these stones will point Israel to God's process for propagation of the faith. What does that mean? That's a fancy word for they're going to pass on Jesus to their children. Look at verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Or even if you look at verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? So God, in giving these stones, is providing a, a conversation piece in which Parents will teach their children about what God has done for them, who he is, and their power. Now, we, need, we, we don't need to, uh, to, to say that children are inquisitive creatures, aren't they? They love to figure things out. I, I remember being a, a child, and my mother had these curtains, and at the bottom, the curtains didn't just flow. They would stick to the tub. And I was amazed. I was like, how do those curtains stick to the tub? So I remember being Mr. Inquisitive. I grabbed a pair of scissors. I, I saw these, these round things. Like, I wonder what those are. These seem to be making this stick to the tub. And I cut out all the magnets <laughs> in my mama's shower curtain. And I remember coming here like, what? Who did? Hey. And I was just trying to figure out how these work. Children are inquisitive. They, they want to know. They're always asking questions. And listen, parents, let, let's take that as a teaching moment and an advantage. When your child got questions for you, don't just run them away, say, go on, get out of my face. Take time to stop and answer whatever question it is because they're coming to you for information when they could be going to anybody else to get information. And this is what God is setting up for Israel, a process by which this information about who God is is going to be transferred. These faith-filled conversations. So not only does it say it here, but even previously with uh, the Passover and other uh, symbolic rituals and items, God uh, is using those things as well to, as conversational starters for children. Let's go with me to Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus, the 12th chapter, let's look at verse 26. So right here, he, again, talking about the Passover, Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 26 and 27. And he says, and when your children say to you, what, what do you mean by this service? You shall say. So, so by them observing the Passover, their children will be like, what is going on? What is this? 
or Deuteronomy 6 and 20. Turn with me there. Moses has just talked about all of the laws that God will pass on. In a verse 20, that this is under that Deuteronomy mandate that we should teach our children when we uh, walk and when we rise and when we lay down. We are, we are always teaching our children. So in Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter and 20th verse, he says, when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say. So God is working in these rituals, in these signs, uh, to give parents the opportunity to pass along their faith. The question is, are you living in a way that they see something to ask questions about? Are you showing forth the goodness of Christ in such a way that your children are asking you about the faith? That your grandparents are asking you about the faith? This is what Israel, this is what would have been expected in Israel. That you would sit down and teach them, this is why we do this. This is why we do that. This is why we have this. And this is why we have that. And that process is instilling in that child that God is real. My parents really believe in him. And he actually has power to affect our lives. But if, but if I just come to church and the rest of my week, my life is completely like hell, then I'm sending a different message to my child that God is faith, he has no power, and he can't change my life. We have to be mindful about what message we are communicating to the next generation. If we say we love God, we got to love him at home too. You know, that means that our children have to see us with our Bibles open. Our children have to see us on our knees. They have to see us singing praises to God because if, he, if we say he's worthy to be praised but never actually sing his praises, then what does that say about us? God wants us to share this faith, this propagation of the faith. These stones. If I left these stones unturned, then your, your stones of remembrance will never lead to your children's faith. If you don't pick them up and say, look, look what God has done for our family. This is why we pray. This is why we read. Spend time enough with your children that they have an opportunity to ask questions. But what else do these stones mean? These stones will point Israel to God's particular providence. Verse 22. Then you should say, let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Now that, that particular uh, sentence is short, but it's so, it, it is so packed, it's so full, it's so pregnant with truth. Israel passed over this Jordan on j- dry ground. So the child will come and ask the question, and you'll say, uh, Israel passed over on dry ground, but, but let me tell you how we got there. We came through the wilderness. But let me tell you how we got there. We were slaves in Egypt, and God raised up one that would save us because we were crying out. 
And he delivered us through these miraculous uh, uh, expressions of his power, shaming the gods of Egypt, showing that he is the true and living God. He, he brought us right up to the Red Sea, and right when Pharaoh was on our heels, he, he opened it wide, and we walked through on dry ground. And not only did he take us through on dry ground, but then as we went into the wilderness, he, he turned bitter water into good water. He rained down manna from heaven and fed us. We didn't have to raise crops. We didn't have to figure out irrigation. He was just feeding us. And, and when we were thirsty, he made water come out of a rock. He, he cared for us and provided for us so that our, our, our garments and our shoes didn't even wear out. But God was with us all along the way. And then as we come through the wilderness, though some was disobedient, God said, I'm still with you. And they died off, but yet God allowed another generation to come, and that is us. We've lost a lot, of, a lot of folks along the way, but we're still here today. Each one of those instances, God was meticulously working in the life of Israel, directing their path to the left and to the right. His providence was caring for them. This is not just a, just a gunshot blast. God was very specific in what he was doing with Israel. Verse 19 here shows this. The fact that they came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. But why would the author put that in there? What he wants you to see is that on the, on the 10th day of the first month, that was the day to begin preparations for the Passover. Something that they had not practiced in the wilderness, but Moses told them that they would practice this when they get into the promised land. He's showing them God knows what he's doing. And if God is able to direct life for Israel like that, could he not direct our lives as well? If I don't pick up this stone, if that stone is left unturned, your stones of remembrance will never crush fear. If I'm always worried about how I'm going to do it, what's coming next, then I will forget that God is in control. These stones, these stones, and these stones point, will point Israel to God's powerful presence. In verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you, uh, for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. This is one of those texts that we're so used to reading it that it's not impressive anymore. God opened up a sea. He, the, the walls of the water were set back and pushed back wide enough over two million people to walk through. And the ground was dry. It wasn't a trudge. It wasn't a hard walk, a hard walk through. God was working in such a way. It was miraculous. It only happened once. And God, this is, this is like the second exodus. God is, is doing the same thing with this generation to remind them, I'm with you too. I'm with you too. So all that God has been doing, these marvelous works, show his power. And if, and, and if left unturned, your stones of remembrance will never give you courage. If you don't remember about what God has done in his power, then you will always walk in fear. You, you will never step out on faith. You will always have to have a plan before you move. But you know what? God just he doesn't work like that all the time, does he? 
that we have, we have to have all of our ducks in a row, we have everything ordered, and then we move. God says, no, you listen to me first, and then you move. I will prepare your way. I will prepare your path. You just follow me. That, just like I told Abraham, Abraham, go to a land. I'm not telling you where you're going. You just go. And in his faithfulness, Abraham goes, and now we see his lineage entering the promised land. If God is able to miraculously work on Israel's behalf, Will he not work to give you rest? These stones, these stones will point Israel to God's perfect plan, verse 24. And that plan is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In God's initial calling of Abraham, he said he would bless him, not just so he could be a blessing unto himself, but that he uh, and his family will be a blessing to all the nations. What does that mean? God was going to make himself known through Israel. And right here we see that the reason why God is setting up these stones is so that they will see and remember, you didn't get over here just to be comfortable. You didn't get all this stuff just, just to have a new house, uh, uh, just to feel better about yourself. You are coming into this land in order that I may use your life as a witness to my goodness and that people will come to know me. My righteous light will shine upon your life. You see, you're just the mirror reflecting my goodness. That's what I want you to be, Israel. So that all the peoples of the earth may know. This is evident in, in, in Rahab's testimony. They're getting ready to come, come over to spies me with Rahab. Rahab already know their story, know where they been, came from. She knows everything about them. And because of that information, she declares that she wants to be in that number. Do you know that God wants to use your successes and, and your failures for his glory? You don't have to get everything right every time. God will use that for his glory. It's when we try to hide uh, uh, our lives or we try to soften the blow. God will use a, 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 a rusty, dirty testimony for his glory. It doesn't matter where you came from, where you've been. God wants to use your life, your story, your, your narrative for his glory. You only need to open up the book. Stop hiding behind your testimony. Stop hiding how you came to faith. Stop hiding how, how, how God's been working in your life and, and allow him to use your life for his particular purpose. God wants to speak to the nations, but then not only that, at the end he says that you may fear the Lord your God forever. By looking at these stones, Israel will be encouraged. They would know that their, that their faith is not, it, it, it would not be forsaken. It would not be useless, that they can push through, that they, that they can uh, conquer the land. So we have this external mission, this internal mission. So if we don't look at God's perfect plan, if we don't pick those stones up and turn them around, if left unturned, your stones of remembrance will never lead to worship. That's what this is, worship the proclamation about who God is, and internalizing his love for you. That's worship. Walking in that, walking in that mission. These stones. Simple chapter. God is finishing 
bringing Israel through the Jordan River in order that they may enter the promised land. But these stones point to one more. Reflecting on these stones for Israel would would provide the essential encouragement that they needed to remain faithful. See, but ultimately, these are just stones. They're just pieces of minerals and material set in a pile. And ultimately, these stones would fade and fizzle and and be destroyed. And as we look at the text of Scripture, we even see that even at Gilgal, where these stones were, that Israel would forsake their God and be taken into captivity, bondage because of their sin. So it wasn't the fact that the stones were there that kept them straight. And for us, it's, it's not the fact that Forest Baptist Church is here that's going to keep you straight. This is just the building. This is just material. This is just lumber. This is just a, a place, uh, an address on the street. This, this is just something that well, where we come to. But what God wants you to look at and what he wanted them to look at, he wanted them to look at the, the stone that never failed, the stone that was always there and always eternal. Signs are just signs pointing to something greater. Signs are not the source. In this text, these stones are pointing us to Jesus. These stones are pointing us to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Turn with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13. Jesus is in a discussion with his disciples, and he he asks them a simple question. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's like that question. What do these stones mean to you? This is a personal question. This is not a general question. Yeah, like we all Christians and we all know this is for you. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is Jesus saying? Jesus said, based upon this profession of faith, this confession, that you are the Christ, you you are the son of the living God, you are the the, uh, awaited for Messiah, you are the one we have put all our hope in, you are the one that Joshua and them were looking forward to and rest. You were the one that the stones pointed to. You were one that the a Passover lamb looked, that looked at. You were the reason why we were tabernacling. You are the one that the reason why we did all that we did, all of our laws, all of our regulations, all of our rituals, all of our ordinances. You are the one that our entire belief system has been built on from the beginning. Jesus, you are the one. 
And upon that rock, Jesus is building his church. He is building a people for himself. But if you are not turning over that stone, if you just pick up Jesus as a, a, a cute guy, he, he was pretty smart, you know, godly. Now, I, I can't live like him. You, you, you're going to miss it. Or, or if, you, if you are thinking that, that, oh, Jesus just loves me for who I am, and I, he knows my heart. Yes, he knows your heart. That's why he's calling you to change. This is the stone. This is the confession that we must have because these stones that, that, that God has Joshua set up will point Israel to God's preeminent provider. The one, that living stone that will never die, will never fade, will never be broken. As a matter of fact, the text tells us that he is the chief cornerstone. The one whom everything is built on. Why do we worship on Sunday? Why do we gather here? Because Jesus got up from the grave on Sunday morning. It's because of him we are here. If left unturned, your stones of remembrance will never lead to eternal life. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. So these stones will point Israel to God's process for propagation, to God's particular providence, to God's powerful presence, to God's perfect plan. But ultimately, these stones point to God's preeminent provider, the one whom our faith is built upon. We all have certain stones, life moments. God has given us these in order that we should look to him. Not how we get past it on our own. You know what the thing's about? Memorials. It's usually memorials are set up for people who've lost their lives. Memorials are set up for people who have sacrificed and died. Memorials are set up to to honor those who have been heroic or courageous. See, it it doesn't take any courage to continue to live for yourself and for your own glory. But it takes sacrifice. And the text of Scripture says that when we are in Christ, we have been crucified. We have died. So in order for you to really embrace this memorial language, you, you have to die today. You can't keep living for yourself, for your own purpose, and for your own glory. You, you can't keep being the center of your own narrative, the center of your own story, the, 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 the chief of your own life. But in order for a memorial to be raised in honor for Jesus with your life, you have to die. But he takes that building material. And, he, and he, he mixes it with other saints building material and other saints building material. And, and the scripture tells us in the first Peter that he is building up a church for himself. That's us for us. But we would never get there if we take for granted what God has done for us. If we live lives that we don't want to remember what God has called us to remember. God has given us one greater than 12 stones. And his name is Jesus. Reflecting on God's powerful, saving presence should lead you to live a life of worship. Let us pray. Father, 
thank you for being our chief cornerstone. Father, you can bear the weight of being that cornerstone because you already bore the weight of sin of the entire universe. Father, your body was broken in order that we may live. But now, O oh Lord, through your life, death, burial, and resurrection, we have a living hope for living stones. Father, may you use us for your kingdom purposes to, to reflect your goodness throughout this entire world that they may come to know the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will help us to crucify our flesh, to die to ourselves today in order that you may live through us, that others will see the glory of Christ in our lives. Father, may you have mercy upon the one who is struggling right now with sin, who, who wants to surrender their life but just doesn't know how. Father, I pray that you will encourage them just to let their life go. To die to themselves, to surrender and be obedient to your will. Father, I ask that you would cause us, Forest Baptist Church in 2016, to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for the one who has died for us. Father, may we make 2016 all about you. May our decisions be all about you. May our, our, our language be all about you. May our, our steps be all about you. May, may everything that we, we are say and do be all about you this year, dear God. Father, help us to learn that you set up signposts. Not that we may worship the sign, but the one to whom they point to. So, Father, thank you for your tremendous faithfulness and for your word. May you please use it for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. God is building his church. God is building a body of believers and bringing them together, not for their purposes, but for his. If God was to call upon your life to be building material, would it last? Would God be able to use you for his purposes? There are many of you in here today that you know God has, has given you a clear sign of where you need to be, what you need to do. My prayer is that you would just surrender to God's will today. You would just give over your life. Lord, I am a sinner in need of salvation. Here is my life. Use it as you will. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I don't no longer want to live for myself. I want to live for you. That is your cry. You can come. You can talk to one of the pastors, one of the deacons, and we can pray with you and for you and show you from Scripture what must you do to be saved. But then also there, there are those who are saved, but they, you've been using your own building material to build your own kingdom. And God 